This morning we're going to continue our series in Ecclesiastes. And if you're having trouble finding Ecclesiastes, you can, or if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew you can use. Uh, but if you have trouble finding it, you can actually take the Bible, open it in the middle, and you'll probably be in the Psalms, and just take a right, go over a few books, and you'll land there. Ecclesiastes, we've been in this book for a few weeks now. And uh, we're entering Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I was having a conversation uh, the other day with my middle child, Emma, about the seasons of the year. And as you know, in Augusta, we're blessed to go through all four seasons of the year. Summer, fall, winter, spring. And I was asking her, you know, which, which season was her favorite? And she was telling me that, you know, her favorite were the, were the cooler seasons of the year. So she could, you know, layer up. And I told her, well, my favorite seasons are the warmer seasons so I can wear, you know, shorts and flip-flops. And so uh, we were talking about seasons. And what's interesting is, even this morning, you probably checked the weather. Uh, maybe you logged on the Internet or looked at the news last night or this morning to figure out what the weather would be like today. And you know, my wife woke up this morning and said, what, what, what's the weather going to be like today? And I said, well, currently it's 46 degrees, which is pretty cool. hasn't been 46 degrees in a long time since, I guess, early spring. And so uh, you look at the weather, and then you say, you know what, it's kind of chilly outside. I think I'm going to wear a sweater or a jacket or, you know, you dress appropriately. And so you enter these different seasons of the year accordingly. If it's warm, maybe you'll wear uh, just a t-shirt and some flip-flops and shorts. But if it's warmer, you layer up. And, uh, you know, that's how life is as well. Life is full of seasons. Things happen. You know, there are gains, there are losses, there's joys, there's sorrows. But, but life is full of these seasons. And as we move into Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the writer is going to share with us four truths that deal with the seasons of life. First, he's going to explain that uh, in everything in life there is a season. And then he's going to tell us that these seasons are not just random, but they're actually directed by the sovereign hand of God. He's also going to tell us that God has set eternity in our hearts. And then he's going to tell us how we ought to respond to the different seasons of life. So let's look at the first truth that he shares with us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. He, start, he starts off with a summary statement in verse 1. He says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. Let me just pause right there for a moment. I, I took my kids to a Clemson football game last night, which we won, by the way, uh, even though I had to leave at halftime because the game didn't start till 7 o'clock. I mean, it was a late game, but someone offered me some tickets, so I couldn't refuse. And it was my kids' first experience you know, of a Clemson game at Clemson. When we were up at Wake Forest University working there, uh, you know, we went to Clemson games when they would come to, to Winston-Salem, but this was the first time at Clemson, which is a different ball game altogether, right, if you've ever been to a Clemson football game. So it was a lot of fun, but when I was, we were walking around campus, and uh, I noticed my freshman dormitory had been torn down. 
You know, we were walking around, showed the, I was showing the kids around, and I said, well, kids, that's where my freshman dormitory used to be. <laughs> it was leveled, and uh, they were building a new dormitory there, and I, I was thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 3, a time to break down and a time to build up. That's just the way it is, and that's the season of life I guess Clemson's going through, is tearing down my dorm rooms and reconstructing some new ones. Well, he goes in uh, verse 4, and he says, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And you know exactly what he's talking about because you've all been there. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So he tells us for everything there is a season. Now he's not saying that you may experience seasons of life. He says you will experience seasons of life. This is just the way it is. Uh, It's like a roller coaster. You're going to have your ups. You're going to have your downs. You're going to have your twists. You're going to have your turns. That's life. You know, for some of you... You may be experiencing laughter. You may be experiencing joy. You, you know, maybe you found a new job or you just started dating someone or maybe you recently have gotten married or maybe a child has been born or you just love the fall and so it's just a happy time. You receive good results from the doctor. You know, you just have a, you're in that time of, of joy and, and, and happiness. But for others of you, you're in that time where you received a bad report from the doctor or maybe you've you lost a loved one, or you're dealing with depression, or you're looking for a job, or you're struggling financially, and God may seem distant. Maybe you're in the midst of a divorce, or dealing with a rebellious child, or a rebellious parent. You know, it can go both ways. And the fact is that we're all in seasons of life. We're all in these seasons of life. And the question is, what season are you in? And if you're like me, it's not hard to figure out what season you're in, right? I mean, you know that. The hard part is realizing it's a season. Isn't that true? I mean, you know what season you're in, but realizing it is a season. And a season is a temporary period of time. I saw a quote the other day from a person who is twice my age, and he said, you know, one of the benefits of growing older is you, in so many words he was saying, you realize that the circumstances of life and what you experience in life, they're seasons. They come and they go. You're not going to stay in this place forever. But things constantly change. And so like the seasons of the year, they come, they go, just like you can't make it warmer and you can't make it colder. You can't make the leaves turn or the leaves fall or the leaves blossom. You can't control life. Life comes in different seasons. They come and they go. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes has been talking about these seasons, these rhythms, these cycles of life, actually since the beginning of the book. And now he makes a major shift here in in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And this leads us to the second truth, and that is, Yes, we observe these seasons, these cycles, these rhythms, these different circumstances we find ourselves in. But 
we see also that these aren't just random acts, but they're directed by the sovereign hand of God. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? And this is a question he's been pondering throughout this book so far. What profit is there in your work? You get up, you get dressed, you go to work, you earn a paycheck, you pay your bills, you eat so you can go back to work, and you repeat that cycle on and on and on. What's the point? This is, the, this is his question. What is the meaning of it all? What's the per- is there any profit to it? Or am I just on the hamster wheel of life, you know, until I die? And so he's been wrestling with that. What profit is there? And then he says in verse 10, I've seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. And then he says this. And this is where he makes that connection. Because now at the end of chapter 2, going into chapter 3, he's connecting life to God here. And he's saying, these are not just random events. We don't live in just a chaotic universe but we live in a universe that is under the sovereign hand of God. And he says in verse 11 that He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. And so the truth communicated here is that the seasons of lives of our lives are under the reign of God in heaven. And this declaration that he makes here is actually all throughout the Scripture. And we're going to look at a few passages in just a moment. But I want to tell you about this uh, little toy that I once thought about asking for for Christmas. Now, some of you remember the catalogs, you know, the Sears catalog, the JCPenney catalog, etc. You get these in the mail strategically before Christmas time. And then, as a kid, I would flip through the catalog to the toy section, obviously. And I would go through and find out, okay, what are the top toys that I want to ask for for Christmas? And I would look through every page multiple times and I would circle and find the ones that I want or I'd cut it out and have it somewhere so my parents could know what to get me. There was one toy that I always came across, but it never made the top five. You know, it never made the top list. And so I never, never received it for Christmas, but I always paused as I went down the list and I saw this thing and I paused and looked at it. I thought, that, that, that seems kind of like a neat toy, but there's other things that I'd rather have. So I never... Asked for it. And here's what it is. It, it, it's been called several things, but it's a rock tumbler. Or it could be even called for the girls, a jewelry maker. In other words, it's just this little machine that has a little plastic barrel on it. And you put rocks in it and you put this other like grit in there. And it just has a little motor on it that turns it. And it just tumbles the rocks over and over and over again, over time. And after, I don't know, I've read about this on the internet here. I've been researching the tumbler. After maybe a month of tumbling, which is a long time. I had no idea. I was thinking a couple hours. I was reading about it. Now, this takes a long time. And so tumbling, tumbling, you had the rock you put in there, but after the tumbling is over, you pull out the rock and it's nice and shiny and smooth. In other words, it's something that's beautiful. It went in all jagged and rough and, you know, uh, dull, and it comes out shiny, colorful and beautiful and smooth. And so as, as I was going through this passage and I thought, you know, God, He makes all things beautiful in its time. I thought about that little tumbler machine. I thought, you know, isn't life like that? You're just tumbling 
Sometimes it's rough. There's a lot of friction involved. You know, there's highs, there's lows. But the Bible says that God makes everything beautiful in His time. In other words, this isn't chaotic. It's not random, but that somehow God is making something beautiful. In the end, He will bring it out and it will be wonderful to look at. This, this idea is all throughout the Scripture. Listen to Romans 8.28 in the New Testament. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now this doesn't say that God works all things together for the good of all people on the planet. Okay, Only for those who love God. Because meaning and satisfaction in life are connected to Him. And so without Him there is no meaning. And you cannot experience life apart from Him. And so he says, for those who know God, who trust in God, who love God, He's working all things for your good. Philippians 1.6, and this is one of my favorite passages because it gives me hope. And it, it says this, Paul says this in Philippians 1.6, he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in me, or in you, will bring it to completion, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, we're tumbling. Yes, there's friction. This is not a fun process of being sharpened and dulled and, you know, polished and, you know, going through that whole tumbling process. It can be painful at times. There's different seasons of life. But it's not chaotic and God is making something beautiful in its time. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And this is what the Bible teaches, that God is at work in the world, He's at work in your life, and He's making you into something beautiful. And even though the seasons of life, they're going to be rough, God is using them to smooth you out and present you before Him in a beautiful way. So the first truth is that there is a season for everything. And some of you know that much better than I do. The second truth is they are not random, but they're directed by the sovereign hand of God. And the third truth that the writer shares with us is that God has set eternity in our hearts, which is an interesting <laughs> phrase in verse 11. It says, also He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. In other words, God has put a burden on you. He has put a burden on you. And this is the burden. That you want to find meaning. That you want to know why things happen. You know, you have been given eternity in your heart. In other words, you have a capacity and a craving to know things beyond the temporal. Beyond things that just pass away. You want to know eternal things and the eternal one. You have this capacity. Some have said it this way, that you have a God-shaped hole in your heart. We all have this, and so we're looking of uh, you know, how to piece together the puzzle. We look at life and we try to figure it out. And I don't know what's more frustrating than putting together a puzzle where the pieces are missing. And if you have kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you try to put, you say, we put together this puzzle last week and all the pieces were there, and now we got it back out and we're putting together the, the puzzle and the pieces are missing. And so you're putting it together and there are pieces missing. And you're like, where'd it go? I don't know. That's life. 
There are pieces missing and you will never put it all together. You will never figure it all out. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes here says that you have eternity in your heart and you can't find out what God is doing. So when you come up to me and say, Ron, why is Columbia underwater? What is God doing? My response is, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know how He's using that. And you've had tragedy in your life and you may say, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? And the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I can't put the puzzle together. I can't connect the dots. And you cannot either. And that's part of the, the consequence of having eternity set in our hearts. We cannot know God. Let me just say this. I was just thinking about this this morning. I have a hard time even understanding my wife or my children, much less the God of creation. <laughs> you know, have you ever asked your child, what was going through your mind when you did that? The reason you ask that question is because you have no idea. You have no idea why they did that. So we can't even understand each other, much less God. God, what are you doing? We have no idea. But what does the Bible say? He's making everything beautiful in His time. Which what it does is it pushes you to trust. It pushes you, it pushes you to trust. But yet we try to figure things out. We try to have control. And sometimes we even think we have figured it out. And then we quote a poem like Invictus by William Ernest Henley. It says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Oh, really? You're the captain of your soul? You're the master of your fate? The writer of Ecclesiastes says, you might want to think about that again. What did you do to have, well, I mean, what, what did you have to do with your birth and where you were born and when you were born? Can you change the seasons? I mean, can you determine when it's your time to laugh and your time to mourn? See, we're not in control. There are, there are gaps, there are pieces missing that you cannot figure out that I cannot figure out. And it's designed that way. Because we were designed to trust God. We're designed to trust God. Just like the parent that takes the child and the little baby to get the uh, immunization shots. If you've, if you've had children and you've had to take that little child into the doctor's office to get that immunization shot, you know what I'm talking about. Everything's fine. Everything's good. The baby loves you. You love the baby. And then the doctor comes in. And they bring out that shot. The baby doesn't know what's happening. Everything's fine. And then the doctor puts that needle in that child. And what does that child do? Looks at you. <laughs> like, what did you just let them do to me? And then they don't understand. They don't understand what you're allowing them to go through is for their benefit and their good to keep them healthy, to keep them from disease. They don't understand it. All they know is this is painful and you let it happen, you know. You let the man in the white coat hurt me, you know. That's all they understand because they can't fathom. They're not that place yet. Now, I think in a similar way, that's just the way it is in life. There are hard times. We get pricked by the needles and we don't understand why. 
But the Bible pushes us to say, you need to trust God. This is not random. He has put it in your heart to not understand it, but you want to understand it. At the same time, you crave closure, you crave meaning and satisfaction, yet you can't find it by trying to put the pieces together. The only way it's found is by trusting in God. And this is what Augustine found out, the, the early church father, as he looked around the world and he's trying to find meaning and satisfaction in so many ways. And then finally, finally, God brought him to himself in a powerful way through the voice of a young child that said, uh, he overheard one day in a, in a park, um, take up and read, take up and read. And he, th- he thought to himself, I should take up the Bible and read. And God impacted his life, changed his life, saved him. And then Augustine could say this. He says, you have made us for yourself. He says this to God. You have made us for yourself, and my heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. See, that's the burden that God has put on man, the restlessness. It's a burden, but it's put there to drive you to Him, to find your rest in Him. This is what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And Jesus' point here is that you'll never find rest until you find your rest in God. And that's what Augustine found as well. The final truth he shares with us in this Ecclesiastes passage in chapter 3 is found in verses 12 through 15. And that is, well, Ron, how do we respond to these seasons of life? We can't put the pieces all together. There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. What do we do? How do we react to these seasons? And I think there's two parts to our response. The first one we see in verses 12 through 13. And this may surprise some of you. But the first part of our response is to enjoy life. To enjoy life. As much as you can. Enjoy what God has given. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. In other words, what should you do in this life? You know the seasons are coming. You know the stomach bug is coming. Wash your hands. Carry around Jerbex, you know, whatever you need. But it's coming your way. It's on its way. We know it's coming. The flu's coming. Whatever's coming. The seasons are coming. The change, and they're changing. And they're coming. But here's the thing. What do you do today? You enjoy life. You do good. You trust God. That's what you do. You may be in a period of mourning and discouragement. And I would say, go get you know, an ice cream with a close friend or a family member. Enjoy a good meal. Go outside and take in the beauty of nature. Just try to find some enjoyment in what God has made and what God has done. Reflect on what He's done for you in Jesus Christ. There are seasons where it will be difficult. It'll be, you'll be discouraged. It'll be a time of mourning and weeping. But the writer says, enjoy life. Do good while you live. This is God's gift. Take 
pleasure in your work. 1 Corinthians 10.31 in the New Testament says it this way. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. So this is the beauty of Christianity in that we don't try to find our significance and meaning in what we do. In our work, in our bank account, in our status in society. Those things do not give us meaning and significance. Our meaning, our satisfaction, our rest is found in our trust in God. And so when we trust in God, then we're able to enjoy work as work. Instead of trying to squeeze meaning out of work. We're able to enjoy relationships with other people and try to, instead of trying to look for them for meaning and, and significance and satisfaction. And approval. See, we can enjoy the things of life when we find our meaning and satisfaction and rest in God. The second part of our response is that, kind of goes along with that, the reason we can enjoy life and eat and drink and take pleasure in our work and do good is because we can, we can trust God. In other words, there are things you're not going to be able to explain. That's the way life is. You're not going to be able to put all the pieces together. You're not going to connect all the dots. But what you can do is you trust God and that gives you the platform to enjoy life and to live life the way God wants you to live because we serve a sovereign God. Verse 14 says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before Him. That which is already has been That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. What's interesting is all to this point. All to this point in Ecclesiastes, he's been saying everything is vanity. In other words, everything is temporal. It's fleeting. You you think you're you're building houses. You're working hard. You're accumulating wealth. You're doing all these things. The next thing you know, it's gone. But then he sees, but whatever God does lasts forever. Whatever He does Last forever. And he even has the ability, it says, to seek what has been driven away. In other words, he has the ability to reach back into the past and use it for something beautiful in the future. So we can't do that. But somehow he can do that in a beautiful way. And we don't always see that. And we won't always see that in this life. But every now and then you get a glimpse of how God can do that. Let me just give you one example. I was reading the other day in this book, and uh, the author uh, gave an example of this from Corey Ten Boom's uh, The Hiding Place. It says that she and her sister Betsy were, were being held in this concentration camp, and Betsy said that they still had to trust God and thank Him for everything. Can you imagine that? Just <laughs> this, is, this is just faith at its core right here. Uh, You're in a bad situation. Can you give thanks to God? Well, Betsy says, yes, we need to give give thanks to God. We need to give thanks to God for everything. So everything in the camp was awful. You're in the middle of the war. Uh, You're separated from family. You're seeing people die. And yet day in and day out, the things that Corey hated the most were the bedbugs. The bed, these lice that would bite you in the night. And so you couldn't get a good night's sleep. 
because they would just eat you up. And she couldn't get away from them. Well, one time, Corey and Betsy were thanking God for everything, spending time in prayer. And Betsy interrupted Corey at the end of her prayer and said, And the bed bugs, Corey. Thank God for the lice. Well, <laughs> you can imagine, Corey thought her sister was crazy. But she thanked God for the bed bugs by faith, believing that, you know, this seems random. How could God use this? I have no idea. But by faith, she thanks God for the bed bugs. Well, after a while, they began to start a Bible study in their barracks. And uh, this is something that was illegal. This was not allowed. The guards would break them up, separate them if, if, if found. But the guards never came into their barracks to break up the study. But allowed it to go on. Never came in, never interrupted it, never ordered them to quit. And they always wondered why that, would, why that was. Why did they never come in to break it up? Well, later they found out the reason that the guards never came in to break it up is because the guards feared the bedbugs. The guards did not want to go in there for fear that they may get these bedbugs. And they didn't want these bedbugs on them and to take them home with them. And so this is just, that was just a small little glimpse Corey Ten Boom highlights and says, you know what? Who would have thought that God would use a bedbug? Only God could do that, <laughs> you know. But yet He did it. And there are little glimpses like that in your own life that you may see, yes, I see how God is using that. But if you are just blank and you can't think of anything and how God could use something like that and bring something good out of it, I just want to give you one example. And this is the prime example of the whole scripture in the history of mankind. And that is, God could give His Son, Jesus Christ, and have Him crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He takes on our sin on Himself, our evil, our rebellion, and He takes it upon Himself. And He absorbs the wrath of God on our behalf. And He's buried and He's raised on the third day. And it's through that act that we inherit eternal life and receive forgiveness. Now, if God can accomplish that through His Son, if God can accomplish that through the crucifixion, then surely God can accomplish great and beautiful things through whatever we may face. And that is our hope and that is our prayer that God would in fact do that. You know, God promises that He will make everything beautiful in its time. And it's through knowing God and trusting Him with our lives that we can enjoy the life that He's given us. And so the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is, first, do you know God? Do you know God? Are you trusting God? Are you trusting Him? You know, can you say with Augustine, my heart was restless until I found my rest in Thee. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is pushing us to. Trust God. Trust God. Embrace His gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. And enjoy life. That's going to put you in a position to enjoy life. Go through the seasons of life. Do good. And point people to that same God that you're trusting. Let's pray. Lord, that is our desire. Lord, many of us experience restlessness. 
Even those of us who trust you and know you, we still experience restlessness. And, and you know that. God, you know our frailty. You know how weak we are. And, and yet you never give up on us. You tell us that you work all things for the good of those who are called according to your purpose and who love you. And you tell us that you're going to complete what you've started. We just thank you for your faithfulness, for your loving kindness, for your grace, your mercy. Uh, the fact that you are sovereign over this world. And even though things may happen, these seasons come and we don't know why they're here uh, and we know there are seasons of life that we wish would last forever. And there are other seasons that we wish we never entered. But God, we trust you in those seasons. Believing that you have our best interests in mind. That you are doing something beyond all that we can ask or imagine. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't trust you. Maybe they're trusting in themselves. They're trusting in their work. They're trusting in their spouse. They're trusting in their bank account. Whatever they're trusting in God. I just, I just pray that you would help them to find their rest in you. God, thank you for your rest that you give us through Jesus. Lord, help us to be willing and uh, quick to share that rest with those around us. And that is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.